So welcome to Forbidden Roos uh, podcast. This is episode three, um, where I've decided to recreate the International Women's Day event keynote talk I did on Tuesday, March 8th, 2022. I, am, I was going to just share the original audio, um, but unfortunately I can't get it on here <laughs> based on the format. So here I am. I'm just going to basically go through um, my presentation because I did actually script it because it was pretty in-depth. And so that was the beauty of not being improvised for once <laughs> and just going ahead and rolling with it. So um, I'm also going through some slides and doing a video at the same time to use for uh, other purposes. So I'm just going to be multitasking. So I apologize if I'm a little laggy. But for those of you that don't know, uh, International Women's Day was, uh, you know, um, about breaking the bias and that's something that I just kind of have been fighting for uh, I find naturally <laughs> my whole life um, I don't want to get into personals but uh, I just think this is my purpose to talk about this stuff oh. and so I have all these platforms I'm like why not right why not share you know we had a great turnout via zoom because that's just the way it goes but I'm willing to go on stages at this point, you know, and, and just like let her rip <laughs> in terms of knowledge. Because I'm like a health coach, but with an edge, I'm offering like gender equality and social justice knowledge on how to be uh, human conscious about stuff and choices. And, and I really believe in this theme of, of being better at being human together has been one, one of my taglines lately. Um, and uh, I know through my own experiences in life that it's doable, that we can be better, and we can heal, and we can forgive, and we can learn, and we can grow, we can do all these things. So <clears throat> I don't think it's like too strange to talk about these theories I have on how to break the bias as a collective and how I got there. So the people that asked me to speak have a little bit of background on me. So they followed me on social. So they trusted me and didn't really question the what kind of uh, content I would bring to the table, which I was really thankful for. So when I showed up, I was like, yo, this is going to be a little deep. <laughs> Not in a trigger warning way, but in a way of like, I've done a lot of work. I've learned a lot. I want to share that with you. I think we can all be this way and do this and that. And so far, it's been really receptive. So this is why I wanted to bring it to this platform and to others as well. So here we go. I want to begin this International Women's Day event by acknowledging that we are meeting on land that has been inhabited by Indigenous peoples from the beginning. As a settler, I am super grateful for the opportunity to meet here. And I thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years. In particular, we acknowledge the land on which we gather today, which is a traditional territory of the Nipissing First Nation Anishinaabe. This territory is covered by the Robinson, Huron, and Upper Canada Treaties. We recognize and deeply appreciate their historic connection to this place. We also recognize the contributions of Métis and Inuit and other ind Indigenous peoples, both in shaping and strengthening this community in particular. As settlers, this recognition of the contributions of the historic importance of Indigenous peoples must also be clearly and overtly connected to our collective commitment 
to make the promise and the challenge of truth and reconciliation real in our communities, and in particular to bring justice for murdered and missing Indigenous women and children across our country. Thank you. I think it's important to recognize our breath as well as we get into any sort of thing we want to stay focused on and listening in is one of those things that we're going to do right now. And so just take a big de like deep breath in to the point where you allow your belly to come out like a balloon and let it out. Breathing is a privilege. I have lived with anxiety and panic attacks since the age of two and a half years old. I'm now 43. I learned to normalize it, but now I'm learning to master it. It is rarer than winning the lottery to be born in this life. And we are all given the same three vehicles to maneuver in our body, mind, and spirit. It is for us to decide what we want to do with it. And so I wanted to say thank you to the Women's Own Resource Center for inviting me to come share 40 years of foraged knowledge, as I feel I have been studying humanity and nature since I could walk by being a sponge and super curious to know all I can about them. Because I truly want to help be the change and the light that I want to see in the world in my lifetime. It is my mission to share what I have uncovered through my work-life experience, education, and trials and tribulation from my own growth spurts towards awakening to the truth. It is an honor to speak on International Women's Day as a gender equality and social justice major coming from a lineage of strong, independent women, where our family had no gendered males born in 42 years. This is a dream come true to represent. Being a feminist often gets a bad rap, that we are exclusive in our titles. And I am sure many have noticed that we often pack words with much responsibility without truly knowing its origin, as well as without identifying with the binary opposites that reside within us all. We all carry masculine and feminine energies, as one example. Being a feminist by definition is one who cares about spe all species on Earth, an umbrella term that encompasses humanity and nature as we are interdependent upon it. And so that being said, I would like to examine where we need to break the bias as a whole in our current structural society, as well as share tools to help build a strong foundation as an individual and a personal agent of the change you would like to see in your local environment. My mission statement was, or came to me while I was recovering from hospitality and uh, knowing that, you know, it was time to semi-retire from 27 years of working in that industry, very male-dominated industry for that matter. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away and uh, it struck me, it really did. And so Forbidden Roots was founded to bring forth the hidden truths about wellness to teach the importance of treating our bodies, minds, and spirits like an ecosystem. I think we have, we have been forbidden the truth behind wellness. And so Ruth Bader Ginsburg became the second female of the U.S. Supreme Court in 1993. After facing 30 years of workplace discrimination in terms of gender politics, since graduating top of her class in 1959, Ginsburg was a longtime trailblazer forceful advocate of women's rights and gender equality. She died at the age of 87, Friday, September 18th, 2020, during the global pandemic of COVID-19. Her 89th birthday would have been a week from today, and may she continue to rest in power. When it comes to wellness strategizing and health coaching, I come equipped with a full toolbox to connect with clients. 
It only takes a Zoom call to reach an access point and begin self-healing. We teach and we do not treat. However, the results can be amazing. Once clients get a little guidance towards what it is they really need to learn about themselves, the rest follows in terms of weight loss, better sleep, and overall well-being. Thinking about wellness as a way of life is the New Age Healthcare 3.0 model. Do you want to be a Ruth? If so, join my email list and get on board. It's forbiddenruths.ca. September 2020 is when I decided to start my own advocacy business in gender equality and social justice, but with a wellness twist. By sharing what I have learned on how to survive and thrive as a female in male-dominated industries, but also as a victim of childhood trauma, which means I have PTSD and I've had it since I was two and a half years old, and ADHD I was blessed with, as well as dyslexia, for example. So there's like a lot of things that can make up a human. I'm also a woman from a lower class background. All these things have taught me to get to here and now and to speak about this today. And there's still a very small percentage of female CEOs, and we need to change that and balance out the gender scales by breaking the bias. Wellness is at the forefront of all we do. If we do not have our health, we cannot do too much about anything, can we? And if we were to treat our human entities that are made up of by the body, mind, spirit composition as a whole ecosystem, then we would organically reflect on the outside world as we would being whole and not divided on the inside if that makes sense. So like as we connect ourselves and, and realize that we shouldn't separate our mind and body, um, which we do, like we numb things, right? We don't want to deal with our emotions, for example, um, or what's going on in the outside world, uh, turn a cheek, uh, take a pill, escape, right? So there's these are normal behaviors that everybody does um, in order to not divide or no, to I guess not to connect really, because like it's it's a lot of work to connect everything together. It's it's a lot of energies. Um, I think it's part of evolution. However, we haven't been trained to understand that it's all going to be okay. I guess you can say. And what I'm coming in as is that it's a cultural somatic experience, and the energies that we are experiencing are not necessarily our own, alone, and we have to learn how to decipher that and self-regulate. Binary oppositions. It's a key concept in structuralism. <laughs> Sorry, I have always mumbled. Um, a theory of sociology, anthropology, and linguistics that states that all elements of human culture can only be understood in relation to one another and how they function within a larger state or the overall environment. That is kind of like you know, what we're reflecting in terms of the whole world, you know, if, if you were to pack that statement down um, or rewind it and listen to it again. The problem with the system of binary opposites is that it creates boundaries between groups of people and leads to prejudice and discrimination. One group may fear or consider a threat to the opposite group, referred to as the other. The use of the term binary opposition is a system to explore differences between groups of individuals such as cultural class or gender differences, which is why I have used this term to navigate this presentation. Furthermore, when it comes to this term, we often encounter binary oppositions in cultural studies when exploring the relationships between these different groups of people, as I already mentioned, for instance, more examples, upper class and lower class, 
male, female, or developed and underdeveloped, and so on. On the surface, these seem merely like identifying labels, but what makes them binary opposites is the notion that they cannot exist. Sorry, coexist. Is that true? Or can we coexist? I think we can. However, the higher ups, so to speak, have kind of created these divisions um, based on politics and sociopolitics. And that was never the intent of binary oppositions. When we started to recognize differences in ourselves, it was never to be bad or ideological, but it has turned into that. And that's where we have to break down this bias, is that the othering and the us and them is not helping us. We need to come together and just eliminate this ideal that we are separate from one another. So last year, in 2021, I was granted an opportunity to take a PhD level transition design course from Carnegie Mellon University during a Nourish cohort recruitment call to action. Nourish, the future of food and healthcare, an indigenous-based initiative to deconstruct biased food systems and healthcare institutions. Their mission as a Canadian pan-wide organization is to start with bringing traditional and cultural foodways to patient care and break down old colonial systematic conditioning in order to heal wounded generations suffering from intergener intergenerational trauma, which is a cultural somatic symptom. In other words, it's not their fault that they're experiencing these symptoms. However, it is for the healthcare institutions to evolve to a point of 3.0 healthcare where these biases are taken into consideration. And as a budding eco-feminist wellness strategist, I signed up for this cohort as an independent representative as I once tried to bring gardening systems to an indigenous island post-university after I learned about the inequality in food access, food security, the poor quality in food services in hospitals, because it's pretty yuck, food deserts up north, and of course, a lack of clean water to name a few unjust issues. In this course, we were taught to identify the major stakeholders that make up the majority of our global slash local current structural systems. In this slide, if you could see, some people can see, I demonstrate examples of this type of mapping, but in the discourse that we are discussing, which is breaking the bias. Like nature has ecosystems, so can we. How else are we to survive and thrive? Nature does not care about us. Sorry. It cares that we regenerate. Wouldn't it make sense to create better systems in order to coexist and regenerate? Whether that be in agriculture, in human awareness, consciousness, in human reproduction, in animals, like in preserving animals so they don't go extinct, like bees as well. They're such a vital part of our, our agricultural system, like naturally, you know, and climate care. Like we need to like start thinking of how can we regenerate, right? That's the whole goal of solar power and um, just, yeah. I think we have to really start thinking like going towards that more feminine side and nurturing side. Um, that's where feminism again falls into play because biasness exists everywhere, including in how we treat the environment. And so that's what nature expects of us. We, you know, we're born like flowers to come and either spread our seeds or we regenerate, we go back into the earth or we can like become weeds and become stagnant. And what we want to do is try to not become weeds. 
And now, if you could see my example in this chart, is it's it's a mapping of the wicked problems and linking them to the major stakeholders, and then unpacking them with minor ones that fit the current model that the white supreme culture body has created. One way is to decipher what is a fixed rate and what is a variable rate within each system. Following with links to the correlations because part of the variables is that some will fit into multiple structures. For example, I am a lower class woman, which puts me into two biased variables, putting me at a disadvantage in terms of having equal opportunities to an upper class man, which has been a fixed bias for centuries. So by variables, I mean that I have two minorities that work against me, which is being a woman and being a lower class woman. That's a variable that will put me into two situations that will work against me versus an upper class man who will have many situations granted to them based on those fixed biased like whatever factors, rates, as I said. I'm trying to like use examples of like people understand fixed and variables based on banking and mortgages and you know insurances and all that stuff. So I'm like, how can we look at this as a more business style in the sense of, uh, you know, this is what's going on with human lives, <laughs> which is not fair because it's not equal or equitable. Once we map up, and link, then we find ways to transition design so that there are equitable solutions. At the moment, we are favoring one over the other, creating divisions and the systematic conditionings of each category, which also creates power dynamics between the binary oppositions instead of building bridges based on equitable solutions. The key to mapping a transition design is to start with you by healing yourself need be, by educating yourself, and then teaching your local community. If we were to form better and improved ecosystems locally, it would have a ripple effect globally. Now imagine a world map by unpacking all of these examples and more. And by these examples, I'm talking about examples of stakeholders. So what I put on the graph here for those podcast listeners, um, race, class, sexuality, able, disabled, ageism, young versus old, environment, healthcare, food systems, sociopolitics, wellness, drugs. And, you know, some of those are very correlated. And and what I continue in the chart, the next chart is that I link everything together and how if we worked on food security, it would improve wellness and then it would improve uh, healthcare and like it just would go in like this like you know ripple effect of an ecosystem but uh, it's hard when you can't see the graphics so if you want to see the graphic I believe I'm going to be sharing um, the slides uh, I'm going to try to do it on Instagram and uh, wherever I can so Instagram or my website I'm just trying to get the information out there so I would just say you know go go look Otherwise, I'm trying to explain it my best in this podcast. Um, and it's just not the same. <laughs> and on YouTube, I hope to have the slides with the podcast and the videos. You can see um, what I'm talking about because the slides are going to pop up, hopefully, above my head. If it all works out. All right. 
on to the next. So when we go into these <clears throat> categories, so to speak, of binary oppositions, I go in to talk about unpacking the social political uh, structures. And I also give an example of a chart, which you'll see here, of an ecosystem that is global social, because, well, if we start to impact the social politics within local communities, it will have a ripple effect globally. And that's been proven because we're all the same. It's just geography, really. Um, we just have different belief systems and cultures that we have to respect and boundaries. And that's what I think needs to come into play. So my chart is like questions, basically, what if we were to divide our binary opposition structures into equal priorities, which means every binary would have equal opportunity. So I have in this chart that everybody gets the same at 11.1%. Where there is no bias and there that each structure at 11.1% gets equitable opportunities to coexist, which means equitable that you get what you need so that the sociopolitics, even at 11.1%, will still get what they need. And the wellness will still get what they need. And everybody will get the same equal opportunity, which means everyone gets the same opportunity in terms of these structures and breaking them down. But if we were to create a society based on these structures, it would be a little bit more fair because everybody would get the same opportunity. And it's what you do with those opportunities that makes you successful. Like right now, um, when it comes to the category of drugs, the opioid crisis, that was created to help with pain management for the American people and their broken backs for working so hard. It was never intended to hurt anybody or to create the addictions that are now happening. But 30 years later, um, since these highly addictive narcotics have been on the market because of pharmaceutical companies marketing them as being non-harmful, um, it has definitely created some issues. Now, drugs are not going anywhere. <laughs> so we have to pretend that, you know, stop pretending, I mean, that they are. That this is just going to be something that we can sweep under the rug. It's gone, you know. No, no, no. They're here to stay. What we have to do is, like, I continue to decriminalize and create safe beds and continue with the pain management on a responsible social level. And better health plans um because right now what's happening another binary opposition opposition is like the clean drugs and the and the non-so-safe drugs are competing against each other in the streets right so there's people that need help but then there's people out there that have the help that are not really ethical about it and maybe not offering the best option to people that don't have the security in place to really truly help them in what they're dealing with um, that's just like really surface level in terms of drugs. And, but that would help the homeless issue. That would help the racism issue. It, would, it all ties into class and capitalism and colonialism, white privilege, supreme body. Um, sexuality ties into that because of, well, an irrational belief that if you use your sexuality, you're going to get something out of it, which is not the case. Um, but all power to you. And 
the environment would be better off if we had more social responsibilities in terms of what we're putting in our bodies, which then goes into the environment. Uh, that goes into like workplace environments as well, policies, toxic behaviors, ethics. It all just like keeps circling in my chart and it goes around and around and around. I could just give so many examples of how each and every one of these stakeholders uh, need their own category in order for us to unpack and not stigmatize them and throw them all into the same box. Um, so that othering becomes bettering, which is really important. Now I want to go deeper into this idea of binary oppositions and talk about cultural somatics, which Resma, um, I will put the link somewhere here in, in everywhere I post. Um, he really helped me open my eyes up and how we have to take responsibility as the white supreme body. Uh, and he offers a free course on cultural somatics. So Resma, cultural somatics, those are the key terms to my inspiration. Um, and it all came from the Wisdom of Trauma course with Garber Mate. And it's just, when you get onto this healing journey, you really do like continuously, it's, it's not, it's, it's so much actually, it's very overwhelming and how much information is out there and all the resources, but thankfully they're there so that we can self heal. Um, there are waiting lists and there's tons of people that are dependent on our healthcare systems and it's just not, it's not sustainable. We don't have a sustainable healthcare model right now. So um, right now, what my the university and the school of thought that I'm a part of, it's called Lifestyle Prescriptions University. Um, and I just like got through level one of the art of science of self-healing, um, the art and science of self-healing. But um, I also have a degree in gender equality and social justice. So I'm combining, you know, the global with the local, like I can work with the individual, but I also want to work with like groups of people and like the masses. <laughs> um, because there's just so much to be said about the collective and the energies. That's why people love going to concerts, you know. So the more we can heal together, the, the stronger we will be. Um, there's another healer that deals with cultural energetics. So let's just get into that. Within the framework um, of Tadahu Zimi, he has his own website called Cultural Energetics. So we have Cultural Somatics with Resma, and then we have Cultural Energetics with Tadahu Zimi. On his website, he says, he states, within the framework of cultural energetics, there's micro pain, such as early childhood trauma, and there's macro pain, such as misogyny. All are understood to be interrelated energetic issues. Because of this, bringing about fundamental change requires us to work on many levels at once. The healing of childhood wound may require the healing of a century old ancestral trauma. The creation of a more ethical business may require the healing of the family of origin trauma and its stakeholders. At the core, there is nothing less and nothing more to a cultural energetics than this multi-layered healing process, which of course is always naturally happening if we pay attention as nature generates, regenerates. Basically, cultural energetics is simply a container for what is already there and gives us the permission to work with it using all of our resources, which is why it's free. We have all the tools that we need to self-heal. We just have to identify. The truth is that whatever a person learns through healing 
their individual energetic system is directly applicable to healing the cultural energetic system. Acknowledgement of this truth allows for the framework to be deeply malleable and not limited by the distribution of methods that often become forms of institutional control. Examples, certifications and professional regulatory bodies. Because it's become a status quo that you can only get help with by people that have this sort of institutional control. And we need to break that. That's another bias. You don't have to just go where you think you have to go to get help. That's changing. The model is changing. And so that being all said, I have taken the role outside of institutional control to help, even with certifications, to help navigate these healing resources towards value-based patient care in order to teach self-healing under an ethical business plan. It's very important to me. And on the slide, it states that breaking the bias starts with you. We need to first recognize what makes us triggered because it's not our trigger, it's a trigger. And sometimes it's like we don't even know it's there. And when encountered with a cultural somatic slash energetic experience, we need to know what to do. We need to know how to self-regulate, learn how to breathe, stay under control, right? Stay, stay, stay calm in order to then assess. And what is like, what is cultural somatic slash energetics? Well, simply put, Cultural somatic context is how our bodies move, breathe, think, feel, and how themselves within a culture, and know themselves within a culture, sorry. If a spiritual practice can be seen as a plant, cultural somatic context is the soil it grows in. And that's from Tadahuzime's website, Cultural Energetics. Um, and so what, what, he's, what he's stating, and what I'm trying to relay, is that we are the soil. And we can allow, again, these weeds to grow or these flowers to grow where we can regenerate these seeds in the flowers. But weeds, well, dandelions definitely do spread. Um, I guess that would be one exception to a rule. But there's, you know, I guess there's goods and bads to everything, like all these other oppositions that we're talking about. Um, but, yeah, I'd say we want to definitely get into the flowers at this point. You know, it's hard, though, because, like, Again, we're not always aware of what we're dealing with. Um, we could be taking on somebody else's pain, somebody else's trauma. It could be a karmic thing. It could be, yeah, which means it's ancestral. And with COVID-19, like all of the world's intergenerational trauma came, came up. So it was like two years of triggers that people, some people knew they had. Some people had been working on and then it came back. Um, there, was, there was a lot of, uh, woo! you know like whoa what's happening and berserk and it's still going on and I think those that are not recognizing this healing that they have to do as either a collective or individual there's going to be like you know unfortunately a, a more depressed state um so that's why I would like you know it's more important to like share that you're not alone this is happening to a lot of people um even if even it is, if it is just your experience that's okay too you know, this is not, you know, we only thrive or survive. Like we don't, we can't resonate in two states, like, you know, like in, at the same time. So we try to find like a happy medium and then we try to go to the positive state, which is the thrive, the light, the active state. Otherwise we're living in the survive passive dark state, which is also known as your shadow side. So you want to try to like neutralize and then get to the positive side of things which is like where we work on on a health coaching basis is that we try to get, there's like a healing phase and uh, 
that's our like our signal goes our needle you know like a gas tank and i don't want to get into car analogies because i can go on all day about that when it comes to that human body so what can you do so we've gotten through the, the you know the, the the theory part of things and what after date like i kind of just exemplified in the slides that you know which ways to recognize when you're in that dark or light state your shadow or whatever I use the yin and yang symbol in my charts uh, because, or my graphics, because, you know, it kind of exemplifies how if we do balance out those two energies in those binary oppositions that we can form like a nice full completion circle and that it doesn't have to be all that bad and there's nothing we can do about it. It's just how the world works. It's how we work. It's how we reflect. It's how we learn. We have to accept that side of things. But that that opposition is what actually keeps and go keeps us all going. To be honest, think about competition. Think about it. Think about the opposites attract stuff. You know, it, there's some there's there's definitely a method to the madness of it, of this whole experience, this human experience. Uh, we just have to get to know it. So what I suggest after like recognizing and checking in and like trying to be in the more positive self talk versus the negative self talk. Um, is taking your power back, which is what I've learned to do. And like, you know, sometimes you think that's not possible, but it is definitely possible. And that's like another Tadahuzimi quote is that the most important distinction reflected in this shift, because we're in a shift right now. And that's the, the origin cult, the original, sorry, cultural energetics framework was never explicitly political in the sense of it being ideological though it was always meant to have a deep social impact on systematic issues. And that, for me, I just think of that as being like, you know, again, it was no one's ever, like, fault. We never meant to turn or we never meant to go against or create these biases. But I think that, you know, those in the power seats have used this reality that we do have differences culturally, um, sexually, and yeah, also through class and the environment and so many things in terms of stakeholders. That is what makes us, again, so beautiful to reflect in. So it's a beautiful thing. We just have to accept that and not make it about a hierarchy or a power over. And I think that's what's happened. It's just kind of like created a bad rap where, you know, instead of being multicultural and multifaceted, um, we've been under these like the opposite the the opposite where there's like this dictatorship or need to reign um be supreme you know and i see it in, in a lot of things like I'm, that to me is just something that happens in this in this world so by chase by choosing to take the wheel of your own energies and your body within another larger body your role will be authentic as long as you recognize what your container is what your role so like i took a decolonization course in university and i had to be the settler and i had no other choice but to be the settler in that role and it's like role play and in society we role play as well um when we are triggered we wear metaphorical masks for example like the way we treat a server in a restaurant versus the way we treat a doctor, as one example. Two humans with equal opportunity born in the same world with the same blood, like the color of your blood is the same, but yet get treated differently. And why is that? Why do we measure someone's success or someone's intelligence by based on their title and their status quo? Well, 
that has to change that's a that's a major bias that's a big problem and we need to form containers of wellness around ourselves in order to survive and thrive through any of these cultural somatic experiences that changes our energies and our healing process in order to change the culture energetics with any larger framework and that's a truth bomb right there now no 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 we have to recognize in order to do all this work and that's by recognizing what makes up our id and freud was the one to help us do that and finding your you know deciphering your ego and authentic self understanding the two um it's yeah stuff you can look up <laughs> google it id identity freud your identity is yours and it's based on personal lived experiences which is what separates us we need to love ourselves in order to love those who resonate with our energies if we stay in the healing phase, we are in a state of joy, kindness, compassion, love. If we choose our shadow sides, then we live in fear, hatred, greed, self-loathing. That's why it starts with you. So even though, like I said before, bias is like, no, it was never intentional. It's a problem because people are like going against each other, living in scarcity mentality, which is a form of self-preservation in bodies within binary oppositions. And we have to find commonalities and form new languages in our individual healing containers that we see, hear, understand each other's somatic symptoms and diverse cultural energies. And that's what Resma tries to teach in his free course on cultural somatics, is forming these containers, especially as a white body. It's our job to like undo what our ancestral colonizers did, even though we didn't have much say. <laughs> It's always a small percentage of people that make it, you know. One person always ruins it for the other person. Well, in this case, it was like 1%, 10%. And well, they weren't really thinking about all of us. People that are like left to deal with the messes and clean up and live the everyday, you know, consequences. And so what can we do? We focus on the mind-body-spirit connection. So what I suggest to do, once you've identified parts of yourself know what, what are your, your triggers are which again are not yours often they're just there they're just triggers um, you just you form a better understanding on how to regulate those issues like you know whether it's panic attacks or anxiety uh, you know you realize you know eventually when you learn about this stuff what's going on in your body is just cutting off your oxygen other things do that too alcohol caffeine sugar there's other things that called stimulants that don't help all this stuff. So you have to really be careful um, with what it is you choose to indulge in if you are choosing to heal your body, either in an individual or collective sense. And when you start to have a panic attack, it just helps like when you understand that it's all in your mind and your body's okay, and that you just need to find a grounding, grounding mechanism um, and are also learn how to breathe ahead of time versus trying to breathe in the moment when you're having this experience and find a lifeline find someone you can call um, that will always be there for you um, and that's why I'm opening up you know really introductory low rates to offer people for a little while to just call and talk about their wellness if I can help and it's not like breaking the bank because that has to change as well as this whole pay for services fee 
in healthcare where, you know, yeah, we have to break that down in terms of status quo because there's a lot of people out there that can help people. It's just that people don't have the funds or the benefits or the plans because they're so old school. <laughs> That's just reality. Um, so ways that you can help self-heal, like in terms of mind, um, body, spirit stuff. Is this moving your body? And uh, know that you're releasing the fight and flight hormones that get trapped in our bodies. So there's a lot of energies that are trapped in our bodies right now. And that is um, part of being sedentary. And sitting, like right now I'm sitting and I'm getting just, I'm tired just from talking for almost an hour. But <laughs> I'm like yawning. I'm like, sorry, but I'm not, like, I never sit this long. It's, you know, it's part of who I am. Um, with ADHD, you're just like always moving, moving's a channel. And that's why I use movement to channel a lot of like the health coaching. Cause I'm like, I just feel like I can just get into the zone when I'm moving. And what that means is that I'm releasing those fight or flight hormones because they're not meant to be trapped in our bodies. We're hunter gatherers by nature. Yes, we've evolved and we found new ways of doing that. But that means it's, you know, again, for you to recognize that you need to release these hormones at least you know, every day at least, but you know, it doesn't have to be marathons. Um, it can just be, you know, 30 to 40 minutes of releasing and like what that does then creates new hormones and boosts endorphins like dopamine and serotonin. Um, and so that your melatonin levels can also decrease at night when you choose to shut off all these lights and your, your devices and TV and just allow your body to just go into that state of rest and repair um which is your sleep state which is really important you have to be able to sleep sleep's huge um, but i'm not going to get into coaching right now those are just examples of and they also say that isolation over the age of 60 is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day so there's some issues there too going within is proven to slow down um, in terms of scanning our bodies, listening, meditation, yoga, even just going outside and being in nature and just allowing yourself to listen to the birds and the wind and the tree crackles and big breaths, right? So you do give that oxygen to the brain and you also practice more positive self-talk and allowing, you know, some of that negative stuff to go away um, because, you know, when we get inside of ourselves in a bad way, which means we're not moving and we're trapping a lot of energies, that can turn into a downward spiral. We want to go upward in our spiral. Um, the, the importance of self-care has not been like greater than ever before. And why health coaches is because we want to create a front line. Um, I knew I always wanted to be on the front line helping those in need. I just I, I applied for crisis intervention. I applied for crisis center. I applied for all these jobs for three years post-graduation I guess I didn't know the right people because <laughs> so I definitely had the qualifications but now I'm just going to start my own business and go again outside of that institutional control bit and help people because I've always been designed to do this and uh, here I am and so we just have to start thinking of different systems and mapping and breaking down in order to break that bias we have to start with you and that will like hopefully have a ripple effect on the rest of the world so here I am ready and willing to speak on stages about these topics and share the good news of thinking of wellness as a way of life. And the last little bit of healing normally involves 
letting go of what no longer serves you. Um, and even though we're not there yet, it's something to start thinking about, you know, in terms of future talk. Because once you find what works for you in connecting your body, mind, and spirit, you can let go of what no longer serves you. Because we cannot change the past. They say living in the past causes depression. They also say that living in the future causes anxiety. And so why not just try living in the, in the present? Just taking one step at a time, making one small change at a time, being in real time as one choice leads to the next. Your journey starts with you and you can be that change. You can be that light that you want to see in the world. Just worry about that. Self-heal, educate, and then teach your community. Remember to take it easy on yourself. It's for the greater good. Whether it's like an individual self-healing process on a micro level of pain, or it's on a macro level of pain, like fighting for misogyny or freedom rights. Either way, it's a messy dance, and you have to take it easy. It's not easy. <laughs> so take it easy. <laughs> it's a one step forward, two steps back kind of dance. Um, but once you've like, practiced, and you've, you definitely find a rhythm where healings are like, it's not linear, and you know that you still get to go hang out with friends and go back to healing. You still can go and do things. Like, it doesn't have to be just like, I'm on this, like, this path where I can only do this. I'm cutting out social media. I'm doing everything like this, and, like, everything has to be perfect. No. No. No, no, no. Like, this is a lifelong journey, healing. And, like, again, it, it, it could be yours or, or other people's healing. It really depends on, like, where it is you land in, the, in life and you, what your purpose is and what you believe in. But I think every person actually finds a cause eventually. Like, I think we all need that kind of purpose-driven feeling or that spiritual aspect of community. Um, and I don't think it's, you know, I think that's what's kind of hurting people the most right now in terms of connection. But yeah, once you get into that rhythm, you, you, you eventually find, you know, you, you, you create your own unique dance. And you wear your favorite shoes that suits your unique style. And so just remember, just be better at being human together. Start thinking of wellness as a way of life. And that we are in health together. And we are en santé ensemble. And I just wanted to say thank you and merci, miigwech. And uh, so grateful to be here right now on this earth and this time to talk about these important issues on how to just stay up thrive and survive and thrive <laughs> I guess that's what it is at the end of the day and so thank you for listening to my presentation it was a bit choppy because you know I'm trying to do both the audio and the video however um, I think you get the drift and if not just move on up all right thank you and I hope you check in again for some more wellness talks on the truth behind them Signing off. All right. Bye-bye.